Well, I know some of you, particularly the, those who have maybe moved here for the summer, wondering if the senior pastor ever preaches. Um, <clears throat> I've been out a couple of weeks of vacation, of course, came back early. We had uh, Doug, our um, satellite pastor, preach last week as we voted on the property they're building. But our guest speaker today is Dr. Gary Frazier. He's a former pastor, but he's been an evangelist for the last 35 years. And also, right now, he's also a teaching pastor at Prestonwood uh, Church in Dallas, Texas, very huge church. He's authored 14 different books. Many of them are on Israel and the second, or the second coming of Jesus Christ, or kind of both. And uh, those books are out here. Some of those books are out here on the table. As you leave this morning, you check that out. But he is founder and president of Discovery Cruises and Ministry Tours Ministry. For this past 35 years, he's taken over uh, nearly 200 trips to Israel. And I went on a mission trip with him before, had a wonderful, I mean, not a mission trip, but a trip to Israel uh, back several years ago and had a wonderful, wonderful trip, wonderful time, which brings us to what we're doing here today. Uh, last November, we were planning to take uh, 90 people plus to Israel on a trip and um, gonna, really looking forward to it. A lot of people signed up, of course, but it got canceled because of COVID. And we said we were going to come back at some point and renew that trip. And so that's what we're doing now. And so we're planning on taking a group of you with me and with Brother Kevin as well. And we're going to be going to Israel in March. And in order to pull that off, we had to start uh, looking at that right now, letting you know about it. And so we're going to have an interest meeting this afternoon with Brother Gary. And uh, I'll be there as well. And will anyone who's interested, you don't have to sign up. There's no money to be taken this afternoon, but if you think you might be interested, we will invite you to come to the Christian Life Center at four o'clock and meet with us up in room 201. And so in order to get this ball rolling now, we had to do it now before fall kicked in. And so uh, with that, he's here in Sarasota as far as taking uh, a trip here, and he's here in Florida for a few weeks. And so I wanted him to come and preach to you this morning. He's really good. I mean, he's a personal friend, but he's also a really good preacher. And I'm telling you, we had a wonderful church service at 930, and we had several people receive Christ into their heart. And so I know you're going to look forward to hearing him uh, right now. And so whether you're here on the internet, on, on television, TV 45, just well, let's all welcome Dr. Gary Frazier as he comes. Well, I've been looking forward to being here with you guys because uh, we love Florida. We're Texans. We live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but we have a winter home down at uh, Bradenton. We, so we're, uh, we're getting smarter as we get older. We found out that the weather is better here in the winter than it is in Texas, so we love being here. Uh, I was looking at the video a moment ago about the kids. Uh, God saved me when I was six. I got called to preach at summer camp when I was 12. And uh, I got to tell you, you never know what God is going to do. I was looking at that little fellow there in the Baptist Street a minute ago, too, and I was just thinking, only God knows what he's going to do with that kid's life. And so you never know, and that's why Jesus said, do not forsake these little ones to come unto me. But uh, I'm excited to be here today. I'm not here, by the way, to sell you a trip to Israel. That's not why I'm here. Uh, you're not here to hear me. You didn't come to see me. You came to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what we want to do is to lift up the name of Jesus. However, I am here to challenge you this morning from the Word of God and to encourage you. 
And I want to do that in this way. I want to ask a question. Do you believe in miracles? Now, most people will say, oh, yeah, I, I believe in miracles. But, but do you really believe in miracles? I mean, you know, the truth of the matter is sometimes we give a conditioned response in church to a question. For example, if I were to say, well, how many of you believe Jesus is coming soon? Probably the majority of you would raise your hands uh, because that's kind of a conditioned response. But the reality is, I, I think there's somewhat of a disconnect between that which we say with our mouths that we believe and that which our lives validate whether or not we truly, in fact, believe those things. And I want you to know today that God believes in miracles, and I believe in miracles. What's interesting is, a number of years ago, I was doing some research on a book I wrote, uh, and I ran across the fact that our third president, Thomas Jefferson, uh, by the way, he's the guy, most of you know, who always is used by a certain group of people in our country to talk about the separation of church and state. Well, you know, even the, uh, you know we're, not, we're supposed to separate church and state. Well, really, that's not in the Constitution, and it's not in the practical sense of reality. Why is that? Our third president, Thomas Jefferson, who they claim wrote the separation clause, which was really a private letter to the Danbury Baptist Association in 1803 because the president wanted to make sure that they understood that there would not be any interference from the federal government in the work and ministry of the church. That said, that same president, Jefferson, is the one who convened the worship services in the Capitol building in Washington. He's the same one who conscripted the band of the United States Marine Corps to come and be the worship band for the worship services in the Capitol. Does that sound like separation of church and state to you guys? By the way, he funded the, the missionaries to go to the Kakaskian Indians to take the gospel of Jesus to them. But that same man who was devoutly religious and a deep follower of Jesus Christ had an interesting little twist to his faith. He didn't believe in miracles. And in fact, what he did was he took the Bible and he cut and pasted from the scriptures a Bible that he would call the Jeffersonian Bible, and it had contained no miracles. He cut all the miracles out of scripture. Now think about this. The greatest miracle in the history of the world is the death, burial, resurrection, ascension into heaven of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Would you agree with that? Do you head like this? That's, that's right. That's the greatest miracle ever. And yet, here's a man who said he followed Jesus Christ, but he didn't believe in miracles. What a disconnect that is. Well, I'm a believer in miracles because God is a believer in miracles. And by the way, Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, the arm of the Lord is not shortened that God can no longer perform. His ear is not dull that he can no longer hear. The Bible is full of miracles after miracles. It was November of 2011, and uh, I was in Israel, and uh, my wife and I were talking on the phone. I was uh, t sharing with her. I said, you know, I'm, I'm flying home on Friday, and then Saturday we've got to drive to Houston because, you know, we're preaching there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, and so forth. And uh, she said, well, you know, I've just got this terrible pain in my back. And I said, well, have you been to see Alicia? Alicia is our family doctor, a friend of ours for about 40 years, and wonderful, dedicated Christian lady. And I said, you need to get out there and let Alicia find out what's going on because I don't want you to have to drive down there and be in pain all the time. So she went to the doctor and Alicia referred her on to have an MRI. So I land on Friday 
and we get in the car Saturday, drive to Houston. So Monday morning, uh, we're having breakfast with a former vocalist and his wife who used to travel uh, with us through the years, and uh, my phone rings. So I looked and I saw it was our doctor, Alicia, calling. So I, I said, excuse me a moment. I got walked away from the table, and as I stood a few feet away, Alicia said, where are y'all? And I said, well, we're in Houston. I'm preaching here. And she said, well, you need to come home now. Sandra has breast cancer. And Sandra, I, I, I told Alicia, I said, I, I want you to tell her that. And Sandra, when I called her to the phone, she said, I knew something was wrong because your face just went white. And so we get the news. Well, come to find out, we kind of began to, you know, went up to our friends and kind of told them we had an emergency, we had to leave, called the pastor at the church, told him we had to get back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and so as we kind of began to throw things together to get on in, back on the road real quickly, uh, I said, wait a minute, time out here. We remember the, the couple from Houston uh, on that Israel trip several years ago, about seven years ago, was uh, with Second Baptist Church from Houston where Dr. Ed Young is pastor. Uh, he was the chairman of the board of MD Anderson. I said, you remember the night we had dinner? And he said this, he said, I hope you never need us, but if you ever do, here's my card with my private cell number, you call me. And so we got on the telephone and called him. And I don't know if you know much about these big cancer hospitals, but normally it takes a little while to get in there. Well, it took us a few hours because one phone call from the chairman of the board pretty much took care of the situation. So we get in there, and of course, you've got all the tests, the battery of tests to go. About three days go by, and uh, we're sitting in the doctor's office. Doctor walks in the door, and uh, he walks over and puts the results of a PET scan on the screen, and he said, uh, Sandra, you have inoperable, incurable breast cancer. And you can see those yellow, those of you familiar with this, the yellow spots down your spine because it's gone from your breast now to your spine. No surgery can be done on that. And, but the good news is we have new medications and we can keep you comfortable as this progresses. And so we're sitting there holding hands and Sandra says to the doctor, she said, uh, how long do you know, do you think that I have to live? He said, well, you're in pretty good shape for your age. So most people with this would, would live about 36 months. So I remember uh, he wrote us all these prescriptions for depression and all various kinds of stuff which she threw in the trash as soon as we walked out. But bottom line was, was that as we walked out the door, we were holding hands and we stopped and Sandra looked at me and said, honey, no doctor can tell me how long I have to live. And I looked at her and I said, well, I'm going to tell you, I believe that God is going to miraculously heal you because I can't do what I do without you. And so we began a journey where we had, it was November, we had planned to be in Florida uh, after Christmas for the winter season because I was booked to preach from Tampa all the way down, uh, I mean from Orlando all the way down to Naples, different things for those about 12 or 14 weeks. And we just spent a lot of time praying, a lot of time fasting, and so forth and so on. So we end up, they wanted us back at MD Anderson in 90 days. It was a little over 100 days. We get back there. Same battery of tests. We're sitting in the office, waiting on the doctor to come in. The nurse opens the door, walks in the room. She's got tears streaming down her cheeks, and she says, we never get to give anybody good news. You have no cancer Here's the PET from yesterday. Here's the one from November. 
the, all the cancer is gone. Now think about that for a minute. Now, let me tell you what happens a lot of times when I share that, brief, that story briefly. You can't imagine how many people have come to me later after the service and they'll say something like, well, they probably misdiagnosed her. And do you know what I want to do when they do that? I want to slap them across the room in, 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 in love. I mean, to imagine that here is one of the greatest cancer hospitals in the world. These people don't fix a dent in a car once a day. They see thousands in a period of days. And to say they misdiagnosed her. And it, what so infuriates me about that is, is that they have no concept that there is a miracle-working God who is faithful to perform. Now, the question that begs to be asked and answered is this. Does God heal everybody? And the answer is sadly no. And one of the things that we don't realize is, is that there are three different kinds of sicknesses taught in the Word of God. One has to do with the sickness under chastisement. That is, if you as a believer or I'm a believer and I am living a life in sin, I'm disobedient, out of fellowship with the Lord, there are times when God will, listen, well, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. God doesn't send the sickness upon a person. I want you to be sure you understand that. Did you get that? Do you head like this? God does not send a sickness, but God will use things to chastise those whom he loves. He is our heavenly father and he says he chastens those whom he loves and sometimes God will use an illness. For example, go read what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, many of you have abused the, the Lord's supper and as a result of that, many have become sick and some have even died. So there is a sickness unto chastisement. So God will use a sickness sometimes to chastise us to, to do what? To bring us back to him into a right relationship with you. But there's also a sickness that is unto death. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die. And by the way, I've written a little book called The Divine Appointment. And as long as they last, I want you to have it for free. It's in, at the table back there and you can pick up one if, you, if you'll promise to read it. But the bottom line is, boys and girls, that we all have a divine appointment. And so far, Death is a 100% deal. You're not going to get out of it. It will happen unless Jesus comes first and calls his bride home to be with him. And then that, those people will, will miss going through death's physical, the physical part of dying. But that said, there's also a third sickness in the Bible, and that is to the glorification of God. You remember that God, that, that God healed the man who had been lame for, thir for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda, as recorded in John chapter 5. And, 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 and what does he do? He gives God glory. Je the name of Jesus is exalted through people that God heals. And so I don't know why God chose to heal my precious wife. I'm thrilled to death that he did. And we've now had a decade, think about it, 2011, 2021. She's supposed to have been dead se about seven years ago. And uh, believe me, she's alive and kicking. And, uh, but, I, but God chose to do that, and I, I rejoice in that. So I just want to simply say to you today and ask you, do you believe in miracles? And God does not only personal miracles in the lives of people, and I see it all the time. I saw it today when some people 
were miraculously born again in Jesus Christ. They moved from death to life. That is a miracle. You may say, well, you know, I don't ever know that I've ever seen a miracle. Well, are you a believer? Because if you are, all you have to do, if you want to see a miracle, is go look in the mirror. Because when you look at yourself, if you're a believer, you have moved and been born again. You, the, the old creature is dead and you've been born again into a new life. That's a miracle that only God can perform. And so, but God also does national miracles, if you please. Worldwide miracles. And I want to talk to you about one in particular today that happens to be the greatest miracle since the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And that event occurred on May 14, 1948. A tiny little strip of land, 6,505 miles from where you're sitting right now. I checked it this morning before the service. That little tiny strip of land in the Old Testament was called Israel. It was called Israel up until 135 AD when Hadrian, the Roman emperor, would change the name of Israel to Syria-Palestinia and change the name of Jerusalem from Jerusalem to Aelia Capitolina. But for 1,878 years, we couldn't find Israel on a map. Why? Because God had chosen to give them this strip of land that at one time belonged to the ancient Canaanite people that were pagan idolaters and God was determined to wipe them out for their sin. And God gave that land to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, known as the Israelites or the Jews, etc. But he told them, he said, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you abundantly. I'm going to do all of these things for you. But if you don't obey me, then these other things are going to happen. And one of the things he said was, was that you'll be scattered into all the nations of the world. Well, all we have to do is go back and read the history of the nation of Israel, and we're going to find that they were disobedient, rebellious, and finally in 70 AD, they were literally scattered. The, the temple was destroyed, and the Jews went into all the parts of the world, and a few years later, of course, Israel ceases to exist as a nation among the nations of the world. For 1,878 years, there was no such place as Israel. Now, you may be wondering, you know, Gary, what, what, okay, I mean, I get it, but what does Israel have to do with us? I mean, it's 2021. Here I am. I'm whatever age you are. Why is it important that you're taking up the time today to do this? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Stay with me. I'm going to make it clear. The fact is, is that they were scattered into all the nations of the world, but God made a promise. And God said this numerous times in Scripture. In fact, it's the most recorded promise in all the Bible beyond the resurrection of Jesus. And that is the return of the Jewish people to their land. Now, here's what's miraculous about this. You see, there has never been a people, an ethnicity, a nation that has been dominated by another nation or nations, plural, scattered, separated from their own land and that ever returned to their land beyond 150 years. It's never happened in the history of the world. But for the, for the Jewish people, separated from their land in 70 AD, many of them kept believing and teaching their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and their great-great-grandchildren right down the line that God made a promise that one day the Jewish people, we, would be regathered to our land. 
Now, the nations and powers came and went. There were the Greeks and the Romans and all of those, and finally the Ottoman Turkish Empire, you know, for almost 1,500 years uh, and until finally the end of World War I. And then it was the British that, under the British mandate, had control of that tiny little strip of land. How tiny is it? That little piece of land will fit into the peninsula of Florida between Orlando and Miami. It's only 55 miles wide east to west. In other words, from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan River Valley, it's only 55 miles, only about 270 miles in length. So it's about the same size as it'll fit in the Garden State of New Jersey, number one, but also the peninsula of Florida. It's that small. And there's only about 8 million, a little over 8 million people there. And yet every day in the news, if you pay attention, there's something about Israel, something about the Jewish people. And by the way, they're the most hated ethnicity in the entire world. Have you ever stopped to wonder why that is? Every day in Washington, there's a discussion about who owns this land. Does it really belong to the Jews or does it belong to the, 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 you know, the Palestinians who claim to have been there for a thousand years, which is a lie because that's not true historically and we have the evidence to back that up. But be that as it may, why is it so important? Why does it matter? Because you see, the world hates God and God is the one who said, I'm going to gather them up from all over the world and bring them back and put them into their land. And if the, the, the ones who hate God and hate the Bible, if they were to accept the reality that the Jews were the chosen people of God in that sense and that he's brought them back into their land, indirectly, they're actually saying, well, there must be a God. And you can't do that in today's culture, unless you want to fight. Can I get a witness, amen to that? Uh, is that right or not? Is it true? Absolutely. You want to start a fight, start talking about God. You really want to start a fight, talking about, start talking about Jesus. And people don't like that because it makes the devil very angry. So the bottom line is, what did God do? God said to the prophets over and over and over again, I'm going to take you and bring you back into your land. And through time... It never happened until finally in 1948. So let me give you a brief little history. Uh, do you like history? Anybody here like history? I love history. How do you know where you're going if you don't know where you've been? Huh? So historically, what happened was simply that the nations that came and went never one time said, this land belongs to us. They all knew the land belonged to the Jews and that and that those who accepted the fact there was a God, that God had scattered them, but that he had promised in the end of time to regather them. So how did that happen? Well, you know, the fulfillment of the promises and the miracles in the Bible, it's not like uh, our day when we uh, put something in a microwave and 30 seconds later it's done. Or for example, if we walked into this room and it was dark, we flip a light switch on and instantaneously it goes from darkness to light. The prophecies of Scripture don't work like that. God begins a process, and over a process of time, he brings about the fulfillment of his promise. Now, let me stop right here for just a moment. How many of you are moms and dads? You have, you have children. Okay, how many of you have grandchildren? How many of you have great-grandchildren? Okay, some of you. Now, let me just tell you this. I had the privilege of meeting the pastor's grandchildren yesterday afternoon. And I said to the pastor, I said, you know, grandkids are wonderful. That, that's God's reward for us putting up with our kids. 
But here's the bottom line. Our children sometimes break our hearts. And sometimes some of the, the, the saddest moments in the life of a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent will be that if they see their posterity going the wrong direction. And yet the Bible says that if we train up a child in the way that they should go, then they'll, not, they'll return to that. And, and, and the reality of it is we pray for that. Now, I'm a preacher. I travel all over the country preaching, and you may think, well, I, I bet you he's got wonderful godly kids. I wish that were true. We have two of four. We got 50%. Two of them, they're not living for the Lord. Two of my granddaughters are lesbians from two different sons, one daughter each. And I want to tell you, when I talk about perversion in our culture today, it's not from a distance. It's up close and personal. I understand what's going on, and I understand how the media is recruiting our kids and our grandkids while parents and grandparents sit back and have no concept of what is actually taking place right under their very noses, up to and even, and listen to what I'm about to tell you, even in churches. But the bottom line is, we keep praying. What do we do? In fact, I'm going to give you something else free if you're interested. If you will go to GaryFraser.com, I wrote an article entitled, How to Pray for Your Lost Loved Ones. You see, most of us don't really understand what spiritual warfare is all about. We go and we say, Lord, I want you to save my grandson or my granddaughter or my husband or my wife. Hey, Jesus is not the problem. He died for them. The problem is with your loved one. But God also tells us in the book of Ephesians how to clothe ourselves in the armor of God and go boldly to the throne of grace and how we have the authority in the name of Jesus to tear down strongholds that get built in the lives of our family members who we love and we have the ability to tear down those strongholds. It doesn't mean they're going to choose Jesus, but it means that the chains of bondage can be broken. Therefore, they have the, the opportunity to choose because you have to realize if you could see them wrapped in chains with a lock on it, that's what Satan has done in their life. But we have an authority in the name of Jesus that most of us don't know about. And so that article is free if you're interested. But here's my point in this. We keep praying and we keep believing because God made a promise. God said if you'll train them upright, in the end they'll come back. And there are legions of promises in the Bible. By the way, did you know that in the Bible God promised to meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus? Now that doesn't mean you get a new Xbox or whatever every time, or a new iPhone every time one comes out like my grandson thinks you should have. But the bottom line is the needs that we have God has promised to meet them. And if he doesn't do it, he's a liar. And that's the one thing he's not. And we need to learn that this miraculous God who does, has made these promises, keeps his promises, and we need to stand on those promises and claim them even if we can't see how it might work. Does that make sense to you? Of course it does. And so today, I'm going to give you three things that, that God promised to the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And I want you to see how he brought that to pass because if you understand this, you will be greatly encouraged. It'll increase your trust and faith in him and you'll walk out of here today saying, hey, I'm a child of the king 
And there are promises that God have made, has made to me, and I'm going to stand on these promises because God is a personal God. And if you know him, you're in a personal, intimate relationship with him because he lives in every one of us who know him. You see, we're not all God's children. We're all his creation because we, he created us in his image. But we don't get to be his child unless we're born into his family. So if you're born, if you've been born again into his family, then you have the right to, clay, to lay claim to those promises. And if there's ever been a time when the body of Christ, the family of God, needs to stand on the promises of God, it's right now. We need to be standing on these promises. So here's promise number one. If you have a Bible, and by the way, that was just a brief introduction. You say, brief? Really? Seriously? Okay. Okay, we are going to be through on time, but I have a few minutes left. Ezekiel chapter 36. In this one passage of Scripture, and there are many. We could talk about Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, where God says, Can a nation be born in a day, yet no sooner was Zion and travail, and she brought forth her child? It is the promise of how in one day Israel that didn't exist will be born again, and they will now exist on the world stage. There are many, many passages of Scripture, Deuteronomy 28 through 30. Moses, the ancient man of God, talked about how the Jews would be scattered, but then at the end of time, God would gather them up and bring them back. But the one place where it's so succinct is right here in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 24. For I will take you out of all of the countries, or nations rather, and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. Now, I want you to notice something here. If you have a pen or pencil, if you're looking in the Scripture, underline or circle nations and countries, those are in the plural. Now, why does that matter? Because you see, uh, in 722 BC, the Jews were attacked by the Assyrians and the 10 northern tribes known as Israel were taken captive to Assyria. And later, many of them returned, although we don't have an actual historical record of, of when, but we know that they filtered back over centuries. But the bottom line there is, is that they went to one country and came back from one country. In 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, after having laid siege to Jerusalem twice prior to that, finally burned the temple to the ground, carried the Jews away to Babylon, and they returned 70 years later in the year 536 B.C., but one country they were taken to and one country they returned to. So these verses don't apply to that. And so what's happening here is Ezekiel, because God is speaking to him and giving him a vision of the future, he says God's promised to take the Jewish people out of the nations, out of the countries where they've been scattered, and bring them back into their own land, and they will live in the land that God gave them. Now, here's the thing. Remember, if God makes good on, the, on that promise, will he not make good on his other promises? And that's what I want you to grasp this morning, that he is a miracle-working God who's conveyed promises to us, and we just need to claim those promises, stand on those promises, and a friend, as a friend of mine said, we act like it's so when it's not so, so it will be so. Did you get that? By the way, can y'all listen fast? I'm just wondering, because you're going to have to, okay? So God did that. Now, I wish I had time to go into the, the way that came about because it was absolutely unbelievable. But I will just give you a little tidbit of history. During the, the World, World War II, uh, we know that President Roosevelt was passively anti-Semitic 
because he knew what was happening to the Jewish people in the death camps of Europe and chose not to act on that. But six million Jews were slaughtered. The greatest attempt at ethnic cleansing the world has ever known, although we've had other as well with Stalin and, and Russia and China and so forth and so on. But, but to target a single ethnicity, to wipe them off the face of the map, that, that had really never happened. So six million Jews died along with another million children. And if you were to visit Israel with the pastor, you, you would visit the memorial to the Holocaust and there as you walk through the hall of the children, the names are being read out. It, it's, 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 it's a moving, a powerful experience. And as horrible as that is, there's another Holocaust that's taking place in our world, in America in particular. They call it abortion, but the name of it is murder. Today, more than 66 million have been slaughtered on the altar of convenience. And that's another message and teaching in its entirety. But having said that, President Roosevelt was the only president in American history that was elected as president for four terms. Thank goodness we did away with that law. Uh, we don't have that anymore. And, but what happened was, in, April, in, in, in the run-up to the 1945 or 44 presidential election, rather, uh, President Roosevelt had a vice presidential candidate that he didn't know much about, but what he did know he didn't like. And his name was Harry Truman. And Harry Truman was a Baptist from Independence, Missouri. Well, they won the election. January 20, 1945, Harry uh, Truman is inaugurated as vice president. Uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt is now the president. And on April 12, 1945, suddenly, Franklin Roosevelt dies. Vice President Harry Truman now finds himself as president of the United States with some very hard decisions to make. One was how to end the war. And he had the courage to drop the bomb on Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and so forth. And, but at the same time, there were rumblings about what was happening with the Jewish people in the Holocaust and so forth and so on and about the Jews having their own country. And there's a lot of pressure. In fact, Harry Truman's Secretary of State was a man that he revered more than any other man he would write about in his personal memoirs. And his Secretary of State told him, Mr. President, don't you have anything to do with supporting the idea of a Jewish homeland? We don't want to touch that because it'll enrage the Arab world. We don't want to mess with this. But it just so happens what they didn't know about Harry Truman was that when he was a younger man back in the 20s and 30s, he was in the clothing business. And he had a partner, and his partner's name was Eddie Jacobson. And Eddie Jacobson was a Jew. And go back to the 20s and 30s, if you didn't live in New York or maybe Miami or somewhere, maybe Los Angeles, you probably didn't have any interaction with any Jewish people. There was no such thing as Jews for Jesus and all this Messianic Judaism. That was a strange thing. And so... Eddie Jacobson, in the slow time of work, was teaching uh, the vice president at that point in time, obviously, teaching him as his co-worker about the promises God made to the Jewish people, and in particular, how one day God was going to gather them up and put them back in their land. So little did the world know that when Harry Truman becomes the president, he had already been schooled in what the Bible says about what God was going to do. And so when it came up, Harry Truman said, we're going to support Israel's right to live in the land that God gave them because the word of God says so. And standing on the biblical promise, Harry Truman, 
The Russians were the first to recognize the rebirth of Israel at 4 p.m. in the afternoon on May 14, 1948. But seven minutes later, they also received a cable from the President of the United States saying that they would support the right of the Jewish people to exist and to live into the land that God had given them. And it was the fulfillment of that prophecy. So God honored his word, worked a miracle. The Jewish people were the recipient of it. Now we could talk as we continue in that passage of scripture about how God promised to renew the heart within them and how he also promised to renew the land itself because the land had been devastated over almost 20 centuries of the Jewish people being out of the land. In fact, you may not know this, but the word of God says that when the Jewish people are out of the land, that the land doesn't produce, that it only produces thorns and thistles. But when the children of Israel return to the land, God then begins to bless it. The Bible says the eye of the Lord is upon the land of Israel from the former rains to the latter rains. God has so blessed the land of Israel, you would not believe how they are now one of the largest exporters in the world to nations all over the world, up to including Arab Muslim nations like Iran, who hates them, are the recipients of fresh fruits and vegetables and a lot of other things, up to and including medical equipment supplied by the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. So we could spend a lot of time this morning talking about background, the history, and all those things. But I think by now you get the idea, and this is the point I want to drive home. Either you believe the Word of God or you don't. If you believe the Word of God, understand this, that only God knows what the future holds. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10, God says this, For I am God, and there is none other. I am God who declares the end from the beginning. So listen to what I'm about to tell you. Only God, who has written the final chapter in the history of the world and the final chapter in your life and mine, only God is qualified to write what the future holds. So if you're interested to know the future, the only reliable source is not Nostradamus, it's the Word of God. Now, a lot of people don't care. I run to people all the time and say, you know, I don't care about any of that stuff. Well, you know what? One day they are going to care because all of us have a divine appointment. We're going to meet the creator. And we're either going to meet him as his child, purchased by the shed blood of the Lamb of God. I remember when Isaiah said in Isaiah 5.20, Come now, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sin be as scarlet, it should be as white as snow. The blood of Jesus washes us clean. And so we're either going to meet him as his child and embrace him as our heavenly father, or we're going to meet him as our judge, but meet him we will. The wonderful news is we get to choose. We get to choose. And so today as we think about, do I believe in miracles? I do. God does. The word of God is replete with miracle after miracle after miracle. But it wouldn't matter if the second greatest miracle in the history of the world if you, it wouldn't matter if you understood that and said, wow, that's amazing that, you know, and there's so much about that God did for you. That is, it wouldn't matter about any of that unless you know the God of, who performed the miracles. And so today, our time together is not about going to Israel. I'd love for you to go. It's a life-changing experience. I will tell you the Bible will never be black and white to you again. It'll be technicolor if you get to walk where Jesus walked. But that's not why we're here. We're here because there are some within the sound of my voice in this room or perhaps even 
watching by way of TV or whatever that have never come into a personal relationship with him. And so today, I want to challenge you. Have you entered into that personal relationship with Christ? You know, this is not a Baptist thing. It's not a church thing. This is a Jesus thing. And he loves you, and he'll take you right where you are, and he will change you, and he'll give you a life that is worth living. But you have to trust him. You know, when Sandra was diagnosed with her cancer, we went, as I said, we began to pray and fast. I'll never forget what she said. She called all of our kids and grandkids together before we left for Florida, and she said, all of you need to know this. I'm not afraid to die. I know, as Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. And I will tell you, when you have an abiding relationship and Christ lives in you, not only will he guide and direct your path, but he will give you a life that is worth living. And when everything else in the world is falling apart, you'll find that your trust and faith in him will give you the peace and the joy and the purpose that life is really all about. So this morning, I just wonder if you've made that decision. And here's what I'm going to do in wrapping this up. You'll bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes. I'm going to challenge you this morning. If you're in this room and you have never made that kind of decision, you say, well, what kind of decision are you talking about? I'm talking about a decision whereby your life is changed. You see the world through a different lens. You become a new person in Jesus. You know, the Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And so I'm just going to ask you right now. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to lead this in a prayer. If, you, if you've never given your life to Christ, and this, today you say, you know what? I want to have purpose. I want to have joy. I want to know that I know that I know. And if God did it and kept his word for the Jews and promised to them, he'll, he'll keep his promises to me. Then in the privacy of your own heart, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm separated from you by my sin. And so right now is an act of my own free will. I'm going to ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Save me. Change me. And help me to live every day for you. And I want to thank you for saving me. No one looking. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to just slip your hand up and let me just see it. Just hold your hand up. Just hold it up for a minute. Put it up in the air. I prayed that prayer with you. God bless you. Yes. I'm just looking around the room. Yes, yes. I see you. God bless you there. Yes. Hold them up for just a moment. Let me just see as I look around the room. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. I see you. Just looking around the room for a moment. Yes, I see you, sir. God bless you. Yes. Back there in the balcony where those lights are, yes, I see you, lady, way up there. God bless you, yes. Yes, I see you over here on the left side. God bless you, lady, right there. Number of hands were raised. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to lift your head now and look at me. I want to say a word just to you. When you prayed that prayer a moment ago, I want you to understand that you didn't get perfect, but you did get forgiven. You see, when we sin, all sin is against the Lord. 
Therefore, he's the only one that can forgive our sin. And he says, if you will ask me to do it, ask me to forgive you and to cleanse you, I will do it. And so a moment ago when you prayed that prayer with me, you know what God did? God took all of the sin that you have ever committed in your life Everything that you have ever done that violated the word, the teaching of God's word. He took along with all of that because remember, he knows the future. And he knows that you're most likely going to mess up again. And he took all of that as well, put it all together, and put it into the sea of nothingness. Do you know what the Bible says? The 103rd Psalm says, God says, I took your sin. And I put it as far as the east is to the west. And this is the part I love. He says, never again to be remembered. God drops it into the sea of forgetfulness. And from this moment on, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and sin against God. That's not what I'm talking about here. Because, by the way, when he comes to live within you, you're not going to want to do that anyway. But you're still going to mess up sometimes. I do it, pastor does it, we all do it. Why? Because we have a sin nature. God knows that. By the way, if there's a parent here who has a perfect child, I want to meet them because there is no such thing. You think the heavenly father doesn't know that? He knows. So he puts all that sin and washes it away with the blood of Jesus. And when he looks at us now, he sees not our sin, but the blood of Jesus that washes us clean. And because of the blood, we can come boldly into the presence of the Lord and call him our daddy father, Abba father. He is our heavenly father. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I'm going to just ask you to do something that will take courage on your part. I just want you to, I want to pray for you. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to step right here down on the main floor. And I'm going to ask you if you prayed that prayer, just get up out of your seat right now and come meet me right here because I want to pray for you. Just get up and come right now. I prayed that prayer. I meant it. Come down. Let me pray for you. Just get up from wherever you're seated and come. Do it right now. Jump up. Come. I'm waiting. Yes, that's right. God bless you. Just come on. Just come quickly. I prayed that prayer. This is not a trick. This is, I'm not trying to coerce you. I just want to pray for you. So you come here and let me do that. Come quickly, though. I prayed that prayer. I'm not ashamed for others to know that. Just come on. That's right. God bless you, big guy. Come on down. Come on down. That's right. God bless you. Others of you that prayed, maybe you said, well, you know what? I prayed that prayer, but I didn't raise my hand. That's fine. You come on too. If you prayed the prayer, you come on. Just do it right now. Come on down. Meet me here. Just another moment. We're not going to belabor this. Anybody else coming before I pray? Yep. Okay. God bless you. Yes. There you go. Takes courage. I said it would take courage to do this. Come on down. Y'all got y'all come on up here close to me, will you? Come on up. God bless you. This is a whole clan coming down here. I'm hallelujah for you all. Come on. Anybody else before I pray? Just another moment. Real quick, like jump up. You'll get you'll you'll you prayed that prayer, you're gonna get home this afternoon and say, Man, I wish I'd done that. Any anybody else before we pray? All right, guys, girls, here's what I want you to do. Come on up real close here. I want to try to get my arms around all of you. 
don't worry, I took a shower this morning, put on deodorant, so I don't stink, I don't think. But uh, I just want to pray for you. And while I'm praying with these, church family, would you join us in praying? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the angels of heaven, the Bible says, are throwing a party. So let's join as I pray for these. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you, first of all, for the fact that you not only died on the cross, but you rose from the grave and you are alive today and you live in every person who by faith trusts you. And so I thank you this morning that you have taken the truth of your word. You have applied it to the hearts of these precious ones. And Lord, you know all about their past. You know all about the present and you certainly know about the future. And so Lord, you are now moving into their life and my prayer is that, that they might surrender to you every single day and that you might do an incredible work in, in and through them and bring glory to the name of Jesus through their lives. So bless them. Meet their needs. Lord, give them great joy in their heart. And Lord, every time the devil comes around and tries to accuse them and tries to remind them of things they've done in the past, I pray that they might simply command that he leave them because he has no authority in their life anymore. They belong to you and you alone. And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that neither death nor life nor powers nor principalities nor any other thing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so bless them in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Church family, can we rejoice? Let's have a... Oh, start. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.